And uh, Ephesians chapter 6, we've been looking at our spiritual armor. And uh, look at verse 17. <clears throat> verse 17, the Bible says, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So we have in verse 17, the Word of God is both defensive and offensive. The helmet of salvation is a defensive mechanism. It's a helmet, right? You don't usually fight with your helmet. I guess if it gets real bad, you can jerk the thing off, start beating somebody with it. But normally, it's 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 a defensive tool, and the sword is an offensive tool. So we have the word of God is both defensive and offensive, and and that's necessary to have in any type of a com- competition. It's good to have a defensive and, and an offense, right? And uh, even, of course, in football, you have defense, offense, basketball, defense and offense, soccer. I don't really care. It's so un-American. Um, I don't know what they do. Uh, I mean, there's all of the, uh-oh, I quenched the spirit already. Uh, but uh, defense and offense, right? If you're, if you're uh, fighting somebody in a ring, you know, they, there's a defense of an offense. And we understand that. And uh, it's in a battle setting, it's good. A good defense keeps you alive. A good feet defense, don't miss this now, a good defense keeps you alive so you can implement a destructive offense. You, you have to have them both, right? So the last six weeks we've been looking at the, the belt of truth, we've been looking at the breastplate of righteousness, the gospel shoes that we have, our military boots, the shield of faith, helmet of salvation, but uh, five segments of armament that is on that God has given us as a believer in our battle against Satan. But if you notice, armor is defensive, not offensive, mainly, like I just said. Mainly off defensive, not offensive. But watch, you can't win a fight by just hiding behind your armor. Oh, I know you can do the rope a dope for a little while. All he would do, wasn't he good at that? Boy, he'd sit on the rope and get beat up for a while, but all of a sudden, here he came. What was he doing? That was a weird defense, but he was getting himself ready for his offense, okay? And so you can't win by just uh, sitting on the ropes, you know? You can't win by just hiding behind a a shield and an armor, and uh, you win when the enemy is dead. That's when you win. Now, could you imagine this if the general said, all right, let's go, come here, here's what we're going to do, we're going to take this hill and we're going to get behind and we're going to get behind our armor you're going to get behind this you're going to get behind that and uh and uh, we're just gonna we're just gonna sit there until the ammo runs out and then we're going home well that's weird <laughs> right what are you going to have you're going to have an enemy that's still alive well that doesn't help out why because they get more ammo and they come back right and so the point of doing all of this is to win, I thought, right? I know we're living in a culture that winning's not cool anymore, and uh, everybody gets an honorable mention and all this new communistic plans that we're living under today. And, uh, but no, I, don't, I, I still like to win. I still think it's a great thing to win. My granddaughter, a while back, said something about they were playing a, a, the soccer, which was the first problem, and they, she said their, co- their coach told them that, hey, uh, you know, just so, just so we do well, it doesn't matter who wins or loses. And she was telling me all about this. And I said, Elena, I said, do you reckon God wins? Do you think God wins? She goes, yeah, I think God wins. I said, so it's probably okay to win, right? 
Well, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I mean, come on now. I mean, you, I said, do you want to lose with the right attitude as well? You don't want to lose with the wrong attitude or win with the wrong attitude. But it's a good thing to win because, I don't know, I, 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 I don't mean to, you know, be too sensational about this. But if you read your Bible, we win, folks, right? Yeah. I think it's a good thing. I like winning. And so uh, not everybody in life gets a, just a, a ribbon of, of, of a participation award in real life. We're going to have a battles and we're going to have one, whether they're battles in business, whether they're battles in your home raising children, whether they're battles in, in the military, whether, but you know, there's battles and, we, and we're going to win or lose. And the same thing goes in the spiritual life. God never intended us to lose battles. He, think about that now. You say, well, I've lost a lot of battles. Well, so have I. But it wasn't his intention. I've lost battles and you've lost battles because the, the armament that was given to us, we didn't put it on. Remember, you've got to put it on. It's there, but if it's just sitting there and not on you, it doesn't work. We've got to put it on. And this is what it says here. And then uh, you've got to, here we're coming to the sword of spirit. You've got to fight. You've got to use, use the weapon. So if we're going to thrive in our life, if we're going to thrive... And not just survive. If we're going to live in victory over sin, how many how many have one sin that gets you every time in your life? No, I thought I had it. Right? Yeah. Now I'm not going around the room to ask you what it is, but right? yeah. Thank. You. No, no, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Hey, listen. If we're going to win and not just simply endure, endure, we've got to fight back. You got to fight. Can I tell you, fighting back spiritually is exhausting, isn't it? It's the most exhausting stuff you'll do. Is fight back. And so we see here in our text in, in verse seventeen, uh, God has given us a sword. Right? Uh, weapons are for use in a battle, and uh, this is talking about a spiritual battle, not a physical battle. Second Corinthians ten in uh, verse four: For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare, what they are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. So we are in a spiritual battle. It's spiritual. Now, let me say this. Spiritual does not mean figurative. The demon world is real, right? I, I, I had a, we had a young girl call here a few years ago. Her and her husband moved up towards Lebanon, but they were coming here pretty regularly. But she called, the first time she ever called, she said, do, do you believe that demons uh, are real and that they do things? I said, well, absolutely. And she began to tell me what was going on with her two-year-old son because of what he was exposed to by her in-laws who were both Mormon and Masonic Lodge and some rite that was spoken over him that she didn't know about. I mean, it was this, uh, this whole mess. And she goes, and there's just stuff going on in my house and it's just crazy and I'm really scared and it's just really creepy. And I said, okay, well, let's, let's help you. And she goes, thank you, because most people just, I call other churches, and I'm not saying she's called, she didn't call all of them. I, I don't want to say anything out, out of line here that I was the only one that answered this way, because I know others that would have answered the same way. But she happened to get a hold of us, and I just said, uh, yeah, this is real. It's very real. The demon world is real. The spiritual world is real, and uh, let's see what we can do to help. And, and, you know, I went through a list of things to begin at the very beginning. Just let, let's just get some things uh, you know, get this, maybe try getting these things out of your house. I said, does, does you, I'll, I'll give you one little thing. I said, does your kids have any toys that that grandmother gave them? Yeah, she's got a few. I said, get them out of your house. 
Well, we can talk about that another time. And she did. She got rid of them. So do you play music? So, you know, make sure the right music's in your house. Make sure the, the wrong entertainment is out of your house. I mean, there's, there's all sorts of avenues and uh, that uh, when this has been opened up, that can, that can be a problem here. What am I saying? Spiritual doesn't mean figurative. This is a real battle. Real bad. I can get really weird on you. I'm not weird on you, but I can really delve in here. You know, we live in a three-dimensional world, but I, I don't know. What are there, ten dimensions maybe? I don't know. We've just been created to see three. Yeah. What does that mean? That means demons and other dimensions, they're, they're, they're right here, but we just don't see it. You know, it's in another realm. Remember when it was Elijah? He said, Lord, open, their, open his eyes. And all of a sudden he saw the chariots of fire all along the hillside. He said, there'd be more than with us than with them. And he's like, how is that possible? Well, I don't know what God did. I know this. He opened his eyes to see into a different dimension and saw all of the hosts of heaven sitting there waiting to battle. And he said, okay, we're good. <laughs> right? I'm, I'm just telling you, this is not figurative. This is spiritual. And when Satan is literally attacking you in the spiritual realm, this spiritual sword causes him to have to go away. This sword is effective, man. This sword is effective. Somebody said this about, we're talking about versions of the Bible. I remember a kid in college said, hey, you may want to have to go after Satan with another version. You may want to, have to, go, want to go after him with a butter knife, but I want to go after him with a sword. <laughs> I was like, I like that. That's not bad. Not bad. Yeah. Hey, this weapon, it's not, it doesn't belong to us, really. I mean, think about it. We have it, but it's always available for our use, right? It's not, it's not our weapon. The, the, it belongs to the Holy Spirit of God. It is the Word of God. He's given us armor, and He's given us a sword, right? Forged by God. Huh? Forged by God. Yeah, there you go. Absolutely. Forged by God. I like that. And uh, so look what our, our sword is, verse 17. Which is, which is the Word of God. Now I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 4. You're very familiar with this. If, if Hebrews chapter 4. You know where I'm going, don't you? Verse 12. The Word of God is quick and powerful. Sharper than any two-edged sword. Piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit of the joints and marrow. And is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Notice three facts about the qualities of this sword. Number one, it's quick. It's quick. What's that mean? It's alive. It's a living word. Hey, anytime the living God speaks, right, it's a living eternal word. When the living eternal God speaks something, it is forever spoken, right? Well, you know, I've told you this. Why, why do the scientists try to figure out what is below the, the, the atomic level. They're trying to figure out the subatomic level and they've tried to figure out what on earth holds it together. And they've come to the realization that nothing holds it together. And we say, amen, because it's all held together by the word of his power, right? The eternal word of God said, let there be, and it is, and it still is. It's quick, it's alive, it's powerful, meaning it's, it's active, meaning it always works. Number three, notice it says the third quality is it's sharper, meaning it's precise. There's nothing as precise as the Word of God. Notice here in, in, our, in verse 12 the capability of this, of this sword. The capability of it. Look at it. Piercing even to, even to the dividing asunder. Dividing of what? Of soul and spirit and of the joints and marrow. 
The soul is who you are by nature. It's your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your spirit is that what connects to God as he gives us the ability to have a, a connection to God. And our spirit is what at, at our salvation has been made alive, right? We're born with a dead spirit. And when we turn to the gospel and believe the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, put in our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, our spirit, you have the quickened, right? Ephesians 2, 8, 9. Our spirit is immediately made alive and it, we now have that communion, relationship, fellowship, the ability to commune with God that we didn't once have before. So watch this. We cannot distinguish, we cannot distinguish between the two because they're both in the spiritual realm. We cannot distinguish between soul and spirit per se. That's why you have some out there, I'll, I'll drop some big words on you, but you have some out there that say, well, I'm a dichotomist. And some say, well, I'm a trichotomist, right? And generally those of the, of the persuasion of uh, Reformed theology, Calvinism, are dichotomists and they believe the body, soul is all one. And then there are those that believe the body, soul, and spirit are each separate in their, themselves. And it's understandable because in, in, the, in the physical realm, it's hard to distinguish necessarily between body and or soul and spirit, which... Uh, you say, what are you? I think I'd probably be, I'd probably be what the Bible says, Bible, body, soul, and spirit, right? There's three there. And, uh, but it can seem like they're one and the same. Watch this. But only the word of God is able to distinguish between the two of them. Yeah. Only the word of God is able to distinguish between the actions produced by our flesh and our actions produced by the Spirit of God. No, you or I may not be able to see it. We might see somebody that's living a life that, boy, that looks great on the outside. They're doing everything right. They're living everything right. But watch, they may sit under the preaching. They may sit under the teaching. And everything's looking good, but the Spirit of God is going, oh, no. Right there, buddy. Flesh, 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 flesh. Boy, I tell you what, only the Bible can do that. Only the Word of God can distinguish between the soul and the spirit. You might be able to fake a relationship with God, but it's only the Word of God that's able to, to re rightly reveal to you where those actions are coming from. Right? It's so alive, it's so powerful, it's so sharp, it can even divide between soul and spirit. Notice also of the joints and marrow. Uh, I, I don't want to spend too much time on the construction of our bones. I get kind of geeked out on all sorts of useless information, and I like that. But our bones, I don't know if you know this, they're pretty hard, right? Or they used to be. <laughs> right? I fell off my uh, skid steer. <laughs> I hate to, why did I even say that? I, I was jumping up in my skid steer, my machine, and I ran up, and I went to grab the, the handle, and I missed it, and I went, back I went fell off that thing and I, I hit right on the side of my bucket right here boom sideways and I fell off that two things I realized number one it hurt number two I didn't bounce I, I remember laying there going I don't remember falling like this before I used to I mean it was like a hundred pound sack of flour I hit that just boom and just I was like I did uh, and I find out that's what happens with age you don't bounce anymore, you know. And I'm laying there I'm like, wow, that really hurt, right? It just really hurt. And it, to this day, I can still feel, if I, if I remember, I can still feel it. There's a lump there. That's been, that was last, I don't know, March, April. All I know is Hunter was standing there and he didn't even, uh, he didn't, he kind of walked around and goes, what happened? I'm like, you didn't see? He goes, no, I just heard something. <laughs> and I, that was me. And uh, 
Boy, you know what? I was so thankful I didn't break that bone. Yeah. Now, it probably has this hairline fracture that I keep waiting every day to explode. But anyway, bones are generally pretty hard. Actually, they are. I, I broke both of these bones when I was uh, about eight years old, and uh, that was quite an exciting. It's my brother's fault, and uh, they, they healed back pretty good. But uh, they really are, and uh, they're pretty hard. If you're going to cut through a bone, you got to have something pretty sharp. You ever read of those guys? A guy's uh, doing cutting a tree down. Tree fell on him, and he cut his leg off with a pocket knife. And I'm going, ooh, right. But when it came to the bone, the guy had to find a rock and just break it. Oh, that's the will to live. I'm like, all right, Lord, we're just going home. Let's. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know about this. Yeah. I had some antlers off of a job site, and uh, I thought, I'm going to, they were getting rid of them, all these decorative antlers, real antlers, and I thought, I'm going to cut these up and bring them home to my dog. And that, we were talking about that the other day, Alan, weren't we? Boy, I hit that with the with the miter saw, and I was like, I had never think, smelled anything stink so bad in my life. That stinks. Don't cut antlers. They stink. Bad. All right? But I'm telling you, this is not talking about cutting a bone in half. Watch. The phrase is dividing asunder. Words mean things. Words in the Bible are not just arbitrary words. Dividing asunder. Dividing asunder. It mentions joints and marrow, right? The, the, the bone joint is called a spongy bone, actually. It's hard, but it looks like a sponge. And, uh, but, but the bone is still very, very hard. But, but Hebrews mentions the marrow as well. Many of our bones contain the marrow, or have the marrow in it, right? It's the transport of the blood. It's where most of our red and white blood cells are made in the marrow. It contains platelets, which are what? Little bitty tiny fragments of bone uh, that help stop bleeding and clot your blood so you stop bleeding. But the bone contains marrow, and it has three layers to that. If you're, I know you're wondering what, all about this, but so I'm going to tell you. There's three layers to marrow. There is the inner marrow. There is a layer of blood vessels around that, and then there is the outer layer that we call the bone okay watch this if you were to cut a cross section of the bone it would be very hard to detect the layers of the bone seeing how they're fused together you'd have real trouble seeing every layer of that bone so watch this the word of god is powerful enough it's sharp enough it's precise enough to cut through a bone and it's sharp enough the figure to watch the the figure showing here is sharp enough to divide and separate from bone and marrow. That's pretty sharp. Do you see the picture that God is showing here of, of the power of His Word, of the precision of the Word? Look at this. Here, here's where it really comes up in our life and we see it actually. A discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Yeah. You know what it's hard to divide? Watch. It's hard for us to divide in, between somebody's actions and somebody's thoughts and intents of their heart. You and I can't see that. Watch, we get in a lot of dangerous ground when we go there sometimes. right? Well, I know why you did that. I know why they did that. I know why they said that. No, you don't. Now, there may be enough evidence eventually to say that, but how often have you come out later and you found out why they did something and you go, oh, oops, <laughs> I didn't know that, <laughs> right? But boy, you had all of the stuff pronounced against them and you knew the wickedness of their heart, right? Remember David? David came and asked what was going on with Goliath because his dad sent him there. And his brother said, I know the naughtiness of your heart. And he's like, I just came here because dad told me to, right? Yeah. 
But hey, the Word of God never makes a mistake between the thoughts and the intents of the heart and the actions. It knows exactly, exactly. The heart is deceitful above all else and desperately wicked. Who can know it? It says over in Jeremiah 17. The Word of God knows what we're thinking and it knows our motives behind it. You've had it happen in your life, haven't you? Right? You may, you, you, you are, there are things going on in your life that nobody knew about. But the Word of God, as you're reading one day, it just hits you like a, like a ton of bricks. I mean, it was just conviction right there. Nobody knew what was going on, but boy, the Word of God did. Hey, you, you may have done something and uh, people may have really patted you on the back and said, Praise the Lord, what a wonderful thing. That was wonderful. That was excellent. And not too long later, uh, God was saying, I don't know about that. I remember I was out on visitation one day and up in North Springfield, knocked on a door. And they had, they had visited church before and I had all their information. I'm going to go visit them and knocking on their door. And I, they were in there. I heard them. I heard them. Right? And I'm knocking and knocking. And you know what? I thought, well, I guess that's your last chance. And I just walked away. I didn't leave anything on the door. I just left. I felt pretty good about myself. I really did. I really did. The next day I was in my shop building working. And uh, it's like the Spirit of God said, how long did I pursue you? I was just minding my own business working. How long did I pursue you? And I started to cry. I said, Lord, I'm sorry. You know, who am I, who am I to determine how long we go after somebody? Yeah. I tell you what, the Word of God, the Spirit of God, sharp, sharp, Absolutely. The sword here we have at our disposal. It's at our disposal. Think about that. It is at our disposal. It is a living, it is powerful, it is precise, and it always works when it's used. Yeah. You may not see it. I may not see it. But it's dividing. It's cutting it's doing the work. How, how do we use the spirit of the sword? Look at over in Matthew chapter 4. Remember Jesus was being baptized by John. The Holy Ghost, it was, the Father was in heaven. The Holy Ghost was coming down. Jesus was in the water. And after that point, you know, the Father had said, This is my beloved Son, who I am well pleased. Hear ye Him. He had just fulfilled all righteousness. Like He told John, we must fulfill all righteousness. He submitted Himself to the baptism that was of heaven. And... Uh, he went from that place filled with the Spirit, walked out into the wilderness to fast for 40 days and 40 nights. Right. Filled with the Spirit. You say, why did Jesus have to be filled with the Spirit? I thought He's God. Pretty good question, isn't it? I, don't, I think it's a good question. And uh, well, let me tell you this. Every, every part of the God has, has a role to play. And Jesus was doing His role. And as He was taking up His role... On this earth, in a, in a human body, the Holy Spirit of God had to do His role, even in the body, even in the Lord Jesus Christ, as the Father was partaking His role. They all have their own role to play, and and that was the role of the Holy Spirit of God. And he to, to and he went out and he went with the Lord Jesus Christ, and and here was Satan's plan to come and to tempt the Lord Jesus. He had fasted for forty days and forty nights. He was hungry. He was uh, he was uh, ready for some food at that time. He said he, he was hungry again. And then here's where Satan came, and uh, came to tempt him. Now in First John chapter two, 
How much time do I have? i got a little bit of time. First John chapter 2, verse 16 says, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And so here are the three aspects of the temptation that came to the Lord Jesus Christ. And they are the same three aspects that come to you and I every time we're tempted. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the pride of life. Those are the three areas. You can mark them down. Those are the three areas that Satan comes to. The lust of the flesh. What did Satan say? Hey, uh, if, if you're the son of God, command those rocks to be made into bread. Lust of the flesh. He was hungry. There's nothing wrong with eating, right? <laughs> Chris is hungry. Yeah. Secondly, the lust of the eyes. What is that? Covetousness. Covetousness. He took him up in the pinnacle of, the, of, the, of a mountain and he showed him all the kingdoms of the world. And he said, I will give you all of these kingdoms if you bow down and worship me. What is that? Just covetousness. The lust of the eyes. Look out and see. You can have it all. And the third thing is the pride of life. What is that? Well, just life's pride. Self-preservation, you might call it. He brought him to the pinnacle of the temple. He said, cast yourself down. If thou be the Son of God, because it's written, that, you know, he shall give his angels charge over thee, lest thou dash thy foot upon a stone. Right? Go ahead and throw yourself out. No, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, they are all, all of these, watch, they are all self-motivated. When self gets in charge of our life, Satan goes, perfect. Now I got him. In verses 3 and 4, Satan tempted him with the bread. Right. Nothing wrong with that. Right. It wouldn't have been sin for Jesus to eat, but it would have been sin for Jesus to obey Satan. <laughs> Nothing wrong to eat with eating unless God had told you not to eat. Nothing wrong with doing whatever, uh, not whatever, <laughs> with many things that are, that are okay to do. But it can be wrong when it's Satan the one telling you to do them. Yeah. So you notice what Jesus says. Now this is what I'm pointing getting to right here. It what he says to Satan. It is written. What did he do? He unsheathed the sword. And he went. <laughs> it's written. It is written. What did he quote? He quoted Deuteronomy 8 and verse 3. And he humbled thee and suffered thee to hunger and fed thee with manna, which thou knewest not, neither did thy fathers know, that he might make known, that he might make thee known, uh, know that man doth not live by bread only, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of the Lord doth man live. What did he do? He responded to the temptation of Satan with the word of God. <clears throat> right? His word. <laughs> right? Now, he could have done a lot of different things. He said, if thou be the son of God, and he could have just, I don't know, made a public display of Satan and just, I mean, did all sorts of really cool things. I could probably come up with some ideas what to do with them, right, to show him how powerful he really was. But no, he didn't do that. He just spoke to him the word of God. You know, realize, really, Jesus could have just snuffed him out and said, done, and he's gone. I mean, he could have. He could have done a myriad things, but he didn't. He quoted the word of God. The next temptation Satan moves to, right? Uh, for he shall keep his angels charge over thee. Psalm 91, verse 11 and 12. I already read this just earlier. And he said, cast yourself down. Yeah. Self-preservation. What is, what is that person saying? My living is more important than God's will. Well, at this time, the will of his father 
was not that he obeys Satan. The will of his father is, is not that he uh, prove himself who he is. And so Jesus responded in, in verse 7, You shall not tempt the Lord your God as ye tempted him in Massah. Deuteronomy 6.16 Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Watch this now. <clears throat> Anytime we deny God's love for us. Or any time that we demand that He do something for us, we are testing Him as if He has to answer to our standards and tempting Him to judge us. That's tempting God. If you would love me, do this. If you really are God, do this. What are you doing? You're turning the tables on God and making Him prove Himself. Boy, we do that all sorts of ways, don't we? Yeah. Jesus said to do what Satan tempted him with was to tempt God and watch. And Jesus needed no proof of His Father's love or His Father's will. He knew it, Right? Now, lastly, you talk about the kingdoms of the world. We've got to go. Verses 8 and 10, the lust of the eyes. Satan said, bow down to me. I'll give you the kingdoms of the world. Once again, what did he say? It is written. It is written. He quoted Deuteronomy 6, 13. Thou shalt fear the Lord thy God and serve him, and thou shalt swear by his name. Satan tempted Jesus to worship him. To worship him. Can I remind you, Jesus created Satan. Hopefully, if a Mormon has tuned in on our live stream today, Jesus created Satan. They're not brothers. No. Father God and Father Mother. Father Mother and Father God or God and Mother and whatever they are. Whatever they came up with. They are, Jesus and Satan are not the offspring of them. Jesus is the eternal God, the second person of the Godhead who created Satan. All right? So he is created. He is a created being. You see what Jesus said? Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God. He's talking to Satan. Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God. What is he saying? Satan, you have a God as well. And who is it? Well, it's Satan Jesus. It's me. Yeah. Yeah. It was the Lord Jesus Christ. Satan rejected him. But listen to me. Jesus said, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him alone shalt thou serve. Right? He said, Every knee shall bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. I can't wait for this, friend, but there's coming a day. And I think all of the eons of time are going to fall silent when you hear the words of Satan ring out through all of eternity. Thou art Lord. <laughs> I can't wait. Just before he's cast into a lake of fire, he's going to confess it. He absolutely will. He absolutely will. Yeah. Why on earth would you want to worship a created being when you can worship the Creator? Yet that's what so many do. Notice this, every temptation, the lust of the eyes, it is written. The lust of the flesh, it is written. The pride of life, it is written. Every time Satan took a swipe at Jesus, he didn't watch, he didn't hide behind armor. He took a sword out and he whacked him with it. Yep. Let, me, let me just finish by asking you this, I'll tie it all together. Because I'm totally run out of time. So why didn't Jesus turn the bread, the rocks into the bread or jump off the pinnacle of the temple or fall down and, or to, to make Satan go away? Why didn't he do those things? Of a bunch of reasons why, 
there's one thing that that helps us today of why he didn't do that. It, it's really helpful. You ready? You ready? Are you ready? Okay. Jesus said it is written, right? Because although he could have turned the rocks into bread and he could have thrown himself off the temple, we couldn't. We couldn't. So what did he do? He gave us what we could do. We could wield his sword and be just as victorious as the Lord Jesus Christ. That's awesome. That's hope. That's great. That's victory. That's actually winning, not hiding. Right? That's, that's going home at the end of the day without arrows poking out of you all over the place. Right? Spending half the night pulling arrows out. Right? That's wonderful. I could give you some examples. We don't have time today of how you actually can implement the sword. Let me just say this. When temptation comes, you need to know the Word of God. Watch to give it right back to Him. Yeah. Yeah. We live in such a fleshly world anymore. It's unbelievable. I hear stories of churches. You can't even go to certain churches without people half-dressed and, and just, just bombarded on every side. Yeah. But we have a weapon. We have a weapon. You know what, you know what men? You know what? I mean, the eyes are, there's stuff all over the place. You know what you can say? <laughs> right? Uh, it is written, thou shalt not commit adultery. Right? Jesus said, if you lust, uh, lust after a woman, you know, uh, if you look about, uh, after a woman, lust after her in your heart, you've committed adultery already with your, or in your heart. Yeah. You say, well, it's all over the place. What do we do? Well, it is written. 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 We live in a strange society and feminism is having its full end right now. And we're seeing the end of that. What a mess that is. And Satan comes to you ladies many times and you say, you know that guy's a dope. And nobody would even argue with you. Nobody would argue. You're like, yeah, he's a dope. right? <laughs> but it's a temptation to come out of, the, out, of the, out of what God has ordained and what God, God's structure is. And what do you say to Satan? Well, you say, Satan, it is written... Wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands as unto the Lord. Well, these are dope. We'll do it as unto the Lord then. And let him take care of the dope. Yeah. No, no, do you want victory or not? I mean, these, these are, this is the word, this is how you wield the sword. A child is always tempted. I mean, in society, they go to school and all they're told now is your children, your, your parents are dumb and they're, they don't know what they're doing and we can help you do whatever you want. We'll pay for the surgery and we'll give you the medicine. And we'll, I mean, it's just unbelievable what's going out there. And I'm telling you, your children need to have on their lips when these things come. Children, obey your parents and the Lord for this is right. Yeah. Amen. What are they doing? Teach those kids to wield a sword at five years old. Teach them, give them the sword, man. Yeah. Whatever it is, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life, it is always, it is written. It is written. I'm telling you what today. I'll tell you what, we can be victorious. How's your Bible memorization? How's your Bible reading? I'm telling you what, you cannot wield a sword that you don't know. You can't do it. Let me encourage you today. I got to go. We got to go. I got to encourage you today. Uh, memorize the word of God. Well, I'm not good at memorizing. Well, write down some key verses and put them up all over the place so you can have them ready. Uh, you, you, listen, you're going to be defeated or else you're going to sit 
hunched behind your armor your whole life and never get victory. Victory is possible. It absolutely is. It's promised to us. And uh, we just need to get, it, get the sword out and start swinging it. Amen. Father, thank you for the reminder today. We've got to go. And I'm so thankful for your word. Thank you that it's forever settled in heaven. Thank you that you've preserved it. What, what use would inspiration be without preservation? We're so thankful for the preserved, inspired, infallible word of God. And we can take this book and we can know for certainty for a certainty that it is your very word that you've given to us. And we can know by the example of the Lord Jesus Christ, it's the best sword we could ever wield, and it will work. Would you help us to, to, to sharpen, to hone this sword that we have, and to get into it, and to memorize it, and to apply it, and to live it, that we live a life of victory. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'll be back in just a minute.